In the 2010s decade, social media created celebrities and destroyed society at the same time. However, it did kick off mass protest movements and many Hollywood elites were brought to justice after their past crimes were exposed. Society definitely evolved a lot this decade and became more accepting of the LGBT community. Internet streaming decreased the sales of physical CDs and DVDs. We saw a rise in plastic surgery, thanks to Instagram. Reality TV took a turn for the worse this decade, and a reality star became the president of the United States. The 2010s decade will also be known as the age of viral videos and dances. Here is part one of the craziest pop culture and celebrity moments of the 2010s decade. Twenty ten was the year full of legal troubles from former child star Lindsay Lohan. The year Gaga wore that meat dress. Kanye West released one of the best albums of the decade titled My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. iPad was first introduced. Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon announced their pregnancy with twins. The death of LimeWire. And the year Nicki Minaj hit the mainstream. Tiger Woods used to be one of the most adored professional athletes, but it all started to unravel in late 2009. It all started on November 25, 2009, when the National Enquirer published a story alleging Tiger Woods was having an affair with a New York nightclub hostess. A few days later on Thanksgiving, around 2 a.m., Tiger Woods crashed his Cadillac Escalade into a fire hydrant and a neighbor's tree just feet away from the mansion he shared with his wife, Ellen. Cops attempted to interview Tiger and Ellen, but were repeatedly turned away. Days later, on November 27th, Tiger issued an apology on his website to say that the situation was his fault and called the crash an embarrassment. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. I know people want to find out how I could be so selfish and so foolish. People want to know how I could have done these things to my wife, Elin, and to my children. And while I have always tried to be a private person, there are some things I want to say. Tiger was facing criminal charges, but was let off with a $164 fine for careless driving. Details about what actually led to the crash is still unclear, but according to Ellen and Tiger, his vehicle hit a fire hydrant and a tree in his neighbor's yard after he pulled out of his driveway. Ellen was in the house when she heard the accident, came out and broke the back window with a golf club to save Tiger's life. That's according to their story. But the real version allegedly went like this. Ellen went through his phone while he was asleep, found some messages between him and his mistresses, 
She then chased Tiger out of the house with a golf club while he got in his car trying to drive away. That's when she allegedly smashed the back window and then he drove into a fire hydrant and then a tree, allegedly. Because of his injuries from the crash, he was not able to attend any tournaments. The drama spilled into 2010 with the list of Tiger's alleged mistresses growing and text messages and voice messages were constantly being exposed. Hey, it's, uh, it's Tiger. I need you to do me a huge favor. Um, can you please uh, take your name off your phone? My wife went through my phone and uh, maybe calling you. So if you can, please take your name off that. And, um, what do you call it? Just have it as a number on the voice now. Just have it as your telephone number. That's it. Okay, you gotta do this for me. Huge. Quickly. Alright, bye. Companies like Gillette, Gatorade, and AT&T started cutting ties with Tiger Woods, and it was reported that he had checked into a sex rehab clinic. On February 19, 2010, he gave a televised apology. On August 23, 2010, nine months after the scandal broke, Tiger Woods and Ellen Nordegren's divorce was finalized. A man interviewing with the local news about a home intruder became bigger than the actual story. His name was Antoine Dodson, and he kicked off the list of viral sensations of the 2010s. Antoine was a resident of Huntsville, Alabama on July 28, 2010, when an intruder broke into his sister's Lincoln Park apartment and tried to assault her in her bed. He rushed to her room after hearing her scream. After a little scuffle, the intruder finally escaped through a window. The local news station WAFF48 came to interview the victims and covered the story, which resulted in this viral video. Drive when I was attacked by some idiot from out here in the projects. Dodson says her attacker used a garbage can to climb onto the unit's ledge, open the upstairs window, and then he got in bed with her. He, he tried to rape me. He tried to pull my clothes off. Dodson struggled with her attacker, knocking over items in her bedroom. Antoine Dodson heard his sister scream and ran to help. Well, obviously we have a rapist in Lincoln Park. He's climbing in your windows. He's snatching your people up trying to rape them, so y'all need to hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husband because they're raping everybody out here. The attacker got loose and went out the upstairs window, but he did leave something behind. We got your t-shirt, you didn't left fingerprints and all. You are so dumb. You are really dumb, for real. You don't have to come and confess that you did it. We're looking for you. We, we gonna find you. I'm letting you know that, so you can run and tell that, homeboy. Over the next few days, the interview made its way around the internet, and Antoine was featured on several media outlets and TV shows. The interview was then remixed into the Bed Intruder song by the Gregory Brothers as part of their auto-tune the new series. Had your wife, had your kids, had your wife, had your kids, had your wife. You don't have to come and confess, we're really looking for you, we gon' find you, homeboy, home, home, homeboy. The song reached number 89 on Billboard's Hot 100, and Antoine performed it at the BET Hip Hop Awards and on 106 and Park. There was a lot of criticism towards the news station for allegedly relying on stereotypical poor black people to make good television. There was also outrage because people were ignoring the attempted sexual assault towards his sister. Unfortunately, Antoine struggled to remain famous and started fading away. 
Years later, he launched a Kickstarter campaign to fund a reality television show about his life titled The Antoine Dotson Experience. He failed to meet his funding goal, and the show never saw the light of day. In late 2009, it was reported that American Idol winner Fantasia Barino was dating a T-Mobile salesman named Antoine Cook, a married man with two kids. Star Magazine reported that Antoine abandoned his family to move in with Fantasia in her Charlotte, North Carolina mansion. Fantasia even tattooed his name on her after only a few months of dating. In August of 2010, Antoine's wife Paula filed for divorce and filed a lawsuit against Fantasia accusing her of having an affair with her husband and said in court documents that the couple even recorded their sexual encounters. She also alleged in court documents that Fantasia interrupted a phone conversation between her and Antoine to say, he don't want you. Maybe the next time you get a husband, you'll know how to keep him. That's why he is here with me. And there were several other nasty phone calls. Days later, Fantasia was hospitalized after attempting to take her own life by overdosing on a bottle of aspirin and sleeping pills. She testified in court that she aborted her and Antoine's child and was dealing with the stress of the affair. A year later, Fantasia and Antoine welcomed a baby boy. Then when those two split, Antoine went right back to his wife. In 2010, Lil Wayne was the biggest rapper in the world. Back in October 2009, he pleaded guilty to felony gun charges. The charges stemmed from his arrest in 2007 outside New York City's Beacon Theater. His sentencing was delayed so that he could get dental work done to get his diamond-studded grill removed. Wayne was sentenced to one year in prison, leaving his fans devastated. He prepared for his prison sentence by shooting seven music videos and recorded music. His eighth album, I Am Not A Human Being, was released on September 27, 2010 while he was incarcerated, and it reached number one on Billboard 200. Wayne was released on November 4, 2010, after serving eight months of his one-year sentence. Eddie Long was a high-profile black church leader and the bishop of the New Birth Missionary Baptist Church, a megachurch in Lithonia, Georgia. He was known for his sermons and for being anti-LGBT, to the point where he was offering counseling to cure people of being gay and opposed marriage equality by holding a march to protest same-sex marriage. This gave him the reputation of being called one of the most outspoken homophobes in the black church. All of this is interesting because in September of 2010, four men who belonged to his Long Follows Youth Academy filed separate lawsuits against Eddie, alleging that he had coerced them into sexual relationships, enticing them with money, trips, and expensive gifts. Some of the alleged abuse happened on trips abroad in New Zealand and Kenya. Eddie didn't explicitly deny the allegations, but he told his church that he's not a perfect man and used Bible scriptures. And it worked because the church stood by him. I'm talking a whole lot. I got one thing to say. So what I need, what I... Manifest. <laughs> Protesters rallied at the Georgia State Capitol and demanded that Bishop Eddie Long step down as senior pastor at New Birth Missionary Baptist Church. 
he secretly settled with the accusers out of court. And although terms were undisclosed, it was revealed that there was also a fifth accuser who also settled. Eddie Long died on January 15, 2017 from cancer. The successful actor Lawrence Fishburne made headlines in 2010 when his 19-year-old daughter Montana Fishburne tried to break into Hollywood by doing X-rated adult films. She made a tape of herself in March of that year and approached the porn company Vivid Entertainment, who's responsible for the distribution of major celebrity tapes like Paris Hilton, Pamela Anderson, and Kim Kardashian. Montana said that those ladies motivated her and that she admired the success they received because of their tapes. If you want to be an actress, why not be an actress and say, well, I'll, I'll do sex scenes when it really fits into the storyline and, and it's art. I mean, I look at pornography as art. I see beautiful people, you know, touching each other in sensual ways, you know, doing erotic things to each other. And that, for me, that is art. I think porn, film, and, you know, music, it's all art. It's just porn is more graphic. Um, I mean, is this how you see your career going? You're going to do a porn and then you're going to get into something that's much more lucrative? I mean... That is always, I mean, that's hopefully, but I want to do porn, but it's just one step in a long career, hopefully. I mean, look, look Kim, she's beautiful. She, she has the world at her feet, and I hope to, too. Do you realize by doing a porn and using your last name on the cover, in other words, the title of your porn is Montana Fishburne, that it really does reflect on your dad? I mean, I understand that it reflects on my dad, but at the same time, it's my name also. And we are two separate people. And I think because he's had such a long, successful career and he is so respected, my action should have nothing to do with him. This has nothing to do with him. This is my own, you know, goal and aspiration. So, Have you, you know, heard he, from your dad about this? No. What would you say to your dad right now if you could say one thing to your dad about this decision to go into porn? that I love him and I didn't do it to hurt him. You know, it's gonna hurt him though. You know that. I, I mean, I understand that, yeah. According to her, her father, Lawrence, expressed his embarrassment by telling her that she was unwelcomed in his life and he wasn't going to speak to her until she turned her life around. She also said her father said to her, you used your last name. No one does that. Earlier that year, Montana was arrested for breaking into her boyfriend's ex-girlfriend's house, forcing her into the bathtub, and beating her repeatedly. A year before that, she was arrested in 2009 for alleged prostitution. After the release of her movie, Lawrence hired a private investigator to follow his daughter because he was concerned for her well-being. When Montana found out, she staged a suicide attempt while the private investigator was watching her to scare her father off. She later turned to stripping, and throughout the 2010s, Montana continued to have legal issues that include DUI and probation violation. <music> 2011 was the year planking became an internet craze. There was a royal wedding, Casey Anthony was found not guilty, Kanye West and Jay-Z released their long-awaited collaborative album, Watch the Throne. That was the year PETA bombed Kim Kardashian with flour. 
and the world's most popular film franchise, Harry Potter, ended after 14 years. The Oprah Winfrey Show debuted on September 8, 1986, and is the highest-rated daytime talk show in American television history. Oprah was the only black woman in a white male-dominated industry, but managed to become a billionaire media mogul. Throughout the years, Oprah interviewed celebrities and regular people to discuss controversial topics and speak their truths. In 2008, it was announced that Oprah was establishing a new cable channel, and later that year, it was reported that Oprah did not intend to renew her contracts for the Oprah Winfrey Show beyond the 2010 to 2011 season. Here goes. After much prayer and months of careful thought, I've decided that next season, season 25, will be the last season of the Oprah Winfrey Show. And over the next couple of days, you may hear a lot of speculation in the press about why I am making this decision now. And that will mostly be conjecture. So I wanted you to hear this directly from me. Oprah Winfrey Network was launched on New Year's Day in 2011, and the final episode of The Oprah Winfrey Show aired on Wednesday, May 25, 2011, after 25 years, 25 seasons, and 4,561 episodes. The finale was split into two episodes and had guest appearances like Aretha Franklin, Tom Cruise, Stevie Wonder, Michael Jordan, and Madonna. On the final part, Oprah took a moment to give a quiet, teary goodbye and thank you to the show staff and fans. The last episode drew 16.4 million viewers. Oprah Winfrey inspired many black women and her talk show paved the way for black women talk show hosts. In 2011, Chris Brown was attempting to redeem himself and move on from the 2009 incident involving Rihanna. He started the year off with two successful singles, Yeah Three Times and Look At Me Now. To promote his album, Fame, he performed on Saturday Night Live and Good Morning America. When he sat down with Good Morning America co-anchor Robin Roberts, Robin pressed him about the restraining order placed on him after the 2009 incident. Chris appeared to be agitated and tried to redirect the conversation by talking about his new album. But Robin continued to ask him repeated questions about the incident. Yeah, but you can understand how some people, you know, what, what, that was very serious what, you, what yeah. you went through and what happened. And, what, uh, and uh, even the judge, though, afterwards said that you had served your time mm -hmm. as far as the community service and that and, yeah. and move it on. But have you been able to? How have you been able to I've been that? focusing on his album, you know. I think this, this album is what... You know, I, I want people to hear and want people to really get into. So definitely this album is what I want them to talk about and not the <laughs> stuff that happened two years ago. I understand that. I understand that. And thank you for allowing me to, to go back that way because there have been a lot of people that were tweeting about it. And when Chris left the stage, he stormed into his dressing room shouting and threw a chair through the window, sending shards of glass falling into the streets of Times Square below. Right after, he had a confrontation with the producer. He then skipped out on his second performance and stormed out of the studio shirtless, which the paparazzi caught on camera. Shortly after, he took to Twitter to express his frustration. ABC sources said they asked Chris before the show if he was okay with being asked a few questions about the incident, and he agreed. 
but Chris's team said otherwise and said Chris routinely told interviewers that those questions were off limits. He later apologized during a live appearance on 106 in part. Republican politician and business executive Herman Cain announced his presidential candidacy in May 2011 for the 2012 presidential election. His campaign would soon become a circus. On Halloween, Politico reported that Herman was accused of sexual harassment by two female employees while he was the head of the National Restaurant Association in the 90s. They reportedly accepted financial settlements from the association, which kept them from discussing their allegations. After those allegations were revealed, more women came forward about sexual misconduct from Herman towards them. Then a woman emerged alleging her and Herman had an affair for two decades. He and his wife Gloria denied the affair and allegations, but he made statements that contradicted his denial. On December 3, 2011, Herman suspended his presidential campaign, citing the attention on accusations of his sexual misconduct had taken a toll on his family. Michael Jackson announced his comeback tour, This Is It, in March 2009. This would have been his first tour since 1997 and suggested retirement after the shows. The tour started out with 10 shows, then was extended to 50 shows. The tour was originally scheduled to start July 8, 2009 and would conclude on February 24, 2010. Michael's nutritional counselor, Sherilyn Lee, said that on April 12, 2009, he had asked her for unspecific drugs to help him sleep. On April 19, 2009, he told her the only medicine that would help him was propofol. Sherilyn refused and told him about the risk of not waking up if he took the drug. Michael ignored her warning and told her he had been given the drug before by IV injection and that his unnamed doctor told him it was safe. Michael was tired and under pressure from rehearsing for his forthcoming tour and on the night of Wednesday, June 24th, he started tour rehearsals around 9 p.m. that continued past 12 a.m. The following morning on June 25th, Michael did not leave his bed. That's when his doctor, Conrad Murray, entered the room to find him unresponsive with a weak pulse. Conrad tried to revive him for about 10 minutes before calling for help. Paramedics found him in full cardiac arrest and attempted CPR for about 40 minutes. By 2.30 p.m., the biggest celebrity in the world, Michael Jackson, was pronounced dead. And Dr. Conrad Murray was responsible. The autopsy revealed that he died from the combination of drugs in his body, with the most significant drugs being the lorazepam and the anesthetic propofol, and was ruled a homicide. The investigation shifted towards Conrad, and he admitted to administering propofol for insomnia the night before his death, and also treated him with a number of other drugs. But he said it was all because Michael insisted, and that he had become dependent on the drug. In February 2010, Conrad was formally charged with involuntary manslaughter. The trial started in 2011, and on November 29, 2011, a jury made up of seven men and five women found him guilty of involuntary manslaughter. During the sentencing, the judge slammed him for caring more about money, fame, and prestige than about his patient and for killing Michael by treating him like an experiment. He received a maximum of four years in prison, and as a result, 
His Texas medical license was revoked and his California and Nevada licenses were suspended. Conrad Murray was released two years later due to prison overcrowding. On March 11, 2011, a music video for a song called Friday by Rebecca Black went viral and got millions of views in a matter of days. Rebecca Black was a 14-year-old aspiring singer from Irvine, California. In 2010, her mother paid $4,000 to Arc Music Factory to produce a song and music video. Arc Music Factory had been responsible for producing extremely cringeworthy songs and music videos for unknown child singers. Arc was a production company founded by producer Patrice Wilson, along with another composer, Clarence J, who Patrice met on Craigslist. Both guys co-wrote and produced the song Friday in just one day, then shot the video in Rebecca's father's backyard with a few of her friends. The song relied heavily on auto-tune, and the lyrics chronicles her life as a teenager on a Friday. mother had doubts about the song, but ignored them. After days of editing, Patrice posted the video on ARC's YouTube channel as an advertisement for the company's services. The music video only got 3,000 views within a month and went unnoticed until it was posted on Comedy Central's Tosh.0 blog with the title, Songwriting Isn't For Everyone. Friday became one of 2011's fastest growing memes. The video surpassed 100 million views and 3.2 million dislikes on YouTube. There was heavy criticism of her singing and the video. The single was formally released on March 14th and peaked at number 58 on Billboard's Hot 100, with earnings between 20,000 to 40,000 from iTunes downloads alone. Rebecca Black was removed from her school due to bullying. She opened up about it in an interview with Good Morning America and also did a stripped down performance of Friday to prove that she was actually a decent singer. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light? Do you think you're a good singer? I think I have talent on some level. Meanwhile, the song was becoming a pop culture phenomenon and was performed on Glee and Dancing with the Stars. Rebecca and her mom entered a legal dispute with ARC over the rights to the music, alleging that ARC Music failed to fulfill the terms of their November 2010 agreement by not giving her the song and the video's master recordings. They were selling ringtones and started charging viewers $2.99 to watch the video on YouTube. YouTube removed the video from the site due to the copyright claim from Rebecca and was re-uploaded to her official channel. Patrice Wilson and Clarence J received public backlash and were accused of exploiting young aspiring singers. Later in the decade, 20-year-old Rebecca Black proved that she actually could sing.
Reality star and businesswoman Kim Kardashian started dating NBA player Chris Humphreys in October 2010, and the couple got engaged in May 2011. The couple went public with their relationship immediately and documented it on Keeping Up With The Kardashians. Just seven months after meeting in May 2011, Kim and Chris got engaged with Chris writing Will You Marry Me in rose petals in her bedroom and proposed to Kim with a $2 million 20.5 carat ring. There were already red flags before the wedding that Keeping Up With The Kardashians viewers got to see like Chris having verbal altercations with Kim's friends and family, or constantly annoying her. The couple got married three months later on August 20th in Montecito, California, with an over-the-top, star-studded 450-guest ceremony. The wedding special aired on E! with a four-hour special spanning two nights titled Kim's Fairytale Wedding, a Kardashian event. And it was apparent from the wedding special that their relationship was not going to last. The Kardashians. There was that awkward conversation about her not taking his last name. I live in a different world. I was definitely raised in a different world than like Yeehaw, Minnesota, and Kim, that's fine. Four years ago, you sold clothes in a boutique in the valley. And now, like, all of a sudden, you're Miss Princess. You knew what you were getting into. With what? With my work ethic, with everything my that I do. My work ethic. Yeah, if that's it, like, Keeping my Kardashian name is a business decision. If you don't understand that, then that's a problem for me. Okay, well then maybe we have a problem. Kim and Chris were paid $1.5 million by People magazine for their wedding photos, but only Kim appeared on the cover. They were also paid $100,000 from OK Magazine for their bridal shower coverage, between $30,000 and $100,000 from Us Weekly for photos of their honeymoon trip to Italy, and the Kardashian family had reportedly pocketed $18 million from the wedding special. After a whole lot of media speculation about there being trouble in paradise, Kim filed for divorce on Halloween, just 72 days after getting married. In her public statement, she confirmed that after careful consideration, she decided to end the nuptials and that while she had hoped the marriage would last forever, sometimes things don't work out as planned. The whole wedding and divorce was slammed by media outlets and the Kardashians were accused of orchestrating a publicity stunt and hoax to boost their names and brand. You can have kids, which is always an interesting plot point for a reality show. And a divorce is obviously an interesting plot point. People like drama. Reality shows are about drama. Really? As if nobody saw this coming? I think everybody saw this coming. I think Stevie Wonder saw this coming. There's lots of cynicism and doubt about the marriage to begin with. Yes, this is no big surprise. Deborah Oprey, one of Hollywood's leading divorce trial lawyers, told Pop-Tart, the Kim Kardashian Chris Humphreys marriage was always a business deal going in and will prove to be one going out. Look at the timing. They planned the wedding in world record time to occur during the NBA's offseason, sold their wedding to the highest bidder, which happened to be People magazine, and timed the broadcast unveil to garner skyrocketing ratings. Like everything the Kardashians do, the marriage was strategically planned from start to finish. The New York Post said that E! Network sought to cast an athlete boyfriend for Kim after her reps allegedly tried for a nick. They settled for a New Jersey net. And of course, the marriage and divorce fallout was documented on their reality show.
A petition started circling the internet asking to remove all Kardashian shows from the air. On December 1, 2011, Chris filed his own petition requesting an annulment on the grounds of fraud or a decree of legal separation rather than Kim's requested divorce. He alleged that Kim knew about the proposal surprise because she was actually the one that planned it. So he was demanding that she give him the engagement ring back. He also said the proposal scene was reshot because Kim didn't like her reaction the first time around. While the marriage drama was playing out on TV a month after the divorce filing, the Kardashians were exposed for faking scenes on their show. There was a car scene filmed in Dubai with Kim and her mother Kris Jenner talking about the problems she was having with her marriage to Chris Humphreys. Thanks to the paparazzi, evidence surfaced that they actually filmed a scene in a studio in LA, not in Dubai, and was edited into the show afterwards to make Kim appear more sympathetic. The show's producer Russell J admitted in the divorce deposition that at least two scenes depicting Chris were scripted, reshot, or edited, and also admitted to the proposal scene being reshot. On June 3, 2013, after a lengthy court battle, Chris Humphreys and Kim Kardashian's divorce was finalized, and they reached a settlement. In late 2011, a 20-year-old woman named Mariah Yader was claiming that 17-year-old pop sensation Justin Bieber was the father of her three-month-old son. Mariah filed a paternity suit against Justin, claiming that she took his virginity backstage at one of his concerts and that he allegedly invited her to attend his future concerts. She demanded a paternity test and financial support. You found yourself under it recently. Yeah. Some headlines or someone is filing a paternity suit. Exactly. Saying you're the father of a three-month-old son. What would you like to say about that? I'd just like to say basically that none of those allegations are true. And, and I know that I know that I'm gonna be a victim. I'm gonna be uh, a target, but I'm never gonna be a victim. You know, I think it's just it's crazy because every night after the show, I'm I'm gone right from the stage right to my car. So it's crazy that some people want to make up such false allegations, but set the record straight, none of it is true. Do you know this woman? Her name is Mariah Yeter. Have you ever met Never her? met the woman. <laughs> Mariah Yeter breaking down and inconsolable after After the media firestorm from the allegations, he immediately denied the claims and also denied ever meeting her. In a sit-down with the insider, Mariah detailed the encounter which she claimed was an October 2010 post-concert liaison at the Staples Center. She claims a security guard invited her into the VIP area backstage where Justin immediately took a liking to her and supposedly asked her if they could go somewhere and be private. She said the sexual encounter between the pair was brief, lasting only approximately 30 seconds. He immediately took a liking to me. And uh, we just got to talking and, you know, it was kind of me and him with other people elsewhere. And, and then he eventually asked me, he said, would you mind if we can go somewhere and be alone? And then when we got to what turned out to be a bathroom, his, his whole demeanor changed. It went from cute and gushy, you know, to uh, just more aggressive. There are people watching this that are not going to believe what you're saying. I've, I've provided evidence to my attorneys, and it'll show in court Can to I, prove that my allegations are true. Can I ask you what, the, what that proof might be, or can we have any inkling? No. 
Justin's publicist said that he would take the DNA test, then sue her for filing a malicious claim. After he took the DNA test, Mariah made no attempts to provide her son's DNA to compare and quietly withdrew her San Diego court paperwork. She went radio silent and the case was tossed out. Justin never pursued legal action and that was the end of that. In 2011, international superstar Beyonce was transitioning into a more mature phase. She had been married to Jay-Z for three years and had just released her most experimental album at the time. Beyonce experienced a number of pregnancy rumors since she started dating Jay-Z back in 2002. So when Media Takeout first reported about pregnancy rumors, they went unnoticed. Beyonce had secretly suffered miscarriages earlier in the year and the years prior. On August 28th, Beyonce announced her pregnancy on the red carpet of the 2011 MTV Video Music Awards by simply clutching her visible bump and told the assembled press, I have a surprise. And during the show, Beyonce brought down the house with a performance of her song, Love on Top. Then after generating a standing ovation from the audience, Beyonce ripped open her blazer and proudly rubbed her baby bump. She had been doing music videos and concerts while pregnant, and no one even noticed. Her pregnancy announcement had broken the most tweets per second recorded for a single event Twitter record, receiving 8,868 tweets per second, and the phrase Beyonce pregnant increased over 5,000% in Google searches. But this exciting moment immediately turned into a media debacle. In October, B sat down for an interview with the Australian talk show Sunday Night HD. As she was taking a seat, her dress folded, which people mistook as her pregnant belly collapsing. This caused a lot of speculation about whether she was wearing a prosthetic belly or not. The video also fueled rumors about J and B hiring a surrogate to carry their first child so that it doesn't ruin Beyonce's body. A month earlier, she was seen on vacation with her belly exposed. But the general public insisted that her bare baby bump looked a bit odd and was fake. How you doing? I'm good. But what this moment exposed to some even caught us by surprise. Here it is again, slowed down. As Beyonce sits down with Molly Meldrum, her dress folds. That crease caused a worldwide controversy. wondering if Beyonce is faking her baby bump after the singer appeared on an Australian TV show. Bumpgate went viral. Sources are saying that she is straight up faking her pregnancy. Beyonce just can't put her feet up and enjoy being pregnant. Some people are actually accusing her of wearing a fake baby bump. A conspiracy to rival JFK and the grassy knoll. Others are saying she's using a surrogate because she didn't want to put her body through the stress. So, like the Zapruder film, we went through the unseen footage, frame by frame. I cannot miss it. Before the interview, Beyonce is fitted with a microphone. And then, from another angle, as she goes to her seat, a makeup artist blocks our view. But then there's this angle from the side. As Beyonce sits down, there's no sign of any straps that could hold padding in place. 
But for us, the biggest clue that she is expecting is this. Uh, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. I got a shock as much as anyone else. <laughs> uh, and you're glowing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's a mother's joy you just can't fake. It's beyond, if it's any time, right now is the time. And I'm so happy well, and you, I feel... <laughs> To make matters worse, Wendy Williams analyzed her stomach and walked her audience through the clip by each frame. She's walking out and everything is fine. She's five months pregnant. Then she sits down and, okay, no, we're gonna rerun it until you. And had her pregnant staffers come out and do a sit down test in dresses that weren't even the same fit as the one Beyonce wore. Here we go. Uh oh. John. Maybe we need you to hold the chair, just steady it for the girls. Well, you didn't you didn't do anything weird. Belly didn't turn into a frisbee. Suzanne, let's see let's see you sit. John's gonna hold the chair. Oh. <laughs> Experiment done. Do you girl B called the rumors stupid, ridiculous, and false. If they use a surrogate, they're gonna play it off like they gave birth. There's a stupid rumor. <laughs> it's actually the most ridiculous rumor I think I've ever had about me. But there are actually a lot of people that believe this rumor. And it's crazy. I guess there are some crazy celebrities in the world, so we get a bad rep. <laughs> but um, to think that I would be that vain and I respect mothers and women so much and to be able to experience bringing a child into this world if you're lucky and fortunate enough to experience that I would never ever take that for granted I mean it's the most powerful thing you can ever do in your life and especially after losing a child the pain and trauma from that it just makes it mean so much more to get an opportunity to bring life into the world. It's something that you have to respect. It just seems like people should have boundaries. On January 7, 2012, Beyonce gave birth to her daughter, Blue Ivy Carter. To introduce her to the world, she launched a blog titled, Hello Blue Ivy, with pics of her newborn. Then the chaos started again when people thought Blue Ivy looked strange. They started claiming that Beyonce was carrying around a fake reborn doll to go along with her fake pregnancy. But over the years, the pregnancy and Blue Ivy were proven to be real. <music> 2012 was the year of Trayvon Martin and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. The movie Project X was released and inspired many wild parties across the country. Gabby Douglas made history. Fifty Shades of Grey had middle-aged women going crazy. Kristen Stewart of Twilight and her married director were caught having an affair. Gangnam Style became a viral dance phenomenon. Instagram took off. Tupac's hologram made an appearance at Coachella. Frank Ocean came out as gay. Catfish the TV show became a hit. And 2012 was also the year people thought the world would end. In March 2012, 
A 28-minute film, an online campaign about the plight of children in Africa, hit the internet and went viral with over 26 million views within days. Coney 2012 is a documentary produced by the nonprofit Invisible Children and film director Jason Russell to shed light upon the notorious Ugandan warlord whose Lord's Resistant Army is responsible for terrorizing and kidnapping children and forcing them to become soldiers. The video ends by encouraging people to join its campaign. A number of celebrities endorsed the awareness campaign against Coney, and it became the number one trending topic on Twitter. Days later, the campaign started receiving a significant amount of backlash from organizations and publications questioning the authenticity. There were questions about the charity's funding. They had reportedly spent $8.6 million the previous year, and only 32% went to the direct services, with much of the rest going to staff salaries, travel and transport, and film production. Africans were also saying that the Coney thing was extremely misleading. But I don't want this video to get boring by talking about politics, so let's skip ahead. Days later, the man behind the viral video, Jason Russell, was arrested for allegedly being naked, pounding his fists, screaming, masturbating in public, and vandalizing cars. He was hospitalized for several weeks for psychiatric evaluation and was diagnosed with brief reactive psychosis with acute state brought on by extreme exhaustion, stress, and dehydration. Sesame Street has been riddled with scandals since it first debuted on TV in late 1969, but none of them compared to the alleged sex scandal involving Kevin Clash, the voice of Elmo. Kevin became the voice of Elmo in 1985. In November 2012, a 23-year-old claimed he had had a sexual relationship with Kevin at age 16 when Kevin was 45. Before the accusations, Kevin did not publicly come out as gay, but he was forced to when he confirmed that he'd had a relationship with the accuser. But Kevin says it was after he was of legal age. Kevin said in a statement, I am a gay man. I have never been ashamed of this or tried to hide it, but felt it was a personal and private matter. The accuser later recanted his accusation, but two other men came forward and sued him in federal court for having sexual relationships with them when they were teenagers and accused him of being a real-life beast who preyed on underage boys. Kevin resigned from Sesame Street Workshop on November 20, 2012. He acknowledged the accusations but said he was resigning for personal matters. A New York judge threw out the three suits against Kevin Clash because they were filed after the six-year statute of limitations had expired. 2 and a half men child star Angus T. Jones gave a testimony for a religious YouTube channel called Forerunner. He had gotten involved in his new church, a part of the Seven-Day Adventist movement, which is led by a man named Christopher Hudson, who shares his controversial views about President Barack Obama and believes that all celebrities are connected with the Illuminati. Angus referred to his show, Two and a Half Men, that he appeared on for 10 years as filth and urged viewers to stop watching it. Angus told viewers to do some research on the effect of television on their brain and compared the show to Satan. I'm on Two and a Half Men. I don't want to be on it. Please stop watching it. Please stop filling your head with filth. People will see us and be like, oh, I can, I can be a Christian and be on a show like Two and a Half Men. I, you can't. 
Angus's mom and people close to him were becoming concerned that he was being brainwashed by whatever church or cult he had joined. Afterwards, the Seven-Day Adventist Church in North America released a statement indicating that the Forerunner Chronicles is not associated with the Adventist Church and that Christopher Hudson was not even an ordained Seven-Day Adventist pastor. A few days later, Angus issued an apology. Then he announced his departure from the show. However, he returned in season 12 for the series finale. Stacey Dash, the actress best known for her role as Dion in the 90s teen movie Clueless, made her singing debut in 2012 with a dance techno song. But that's not the crazy part. In October 2012, she endorsed Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney with a tweet that read, Vote for Romney, the only choice for your future, with a photo of herself posing before the American flag while wearing a red bathing suit. There was backlash because Stacey had voted for Barack Obama in the 2008 U.S. presidential election. I am so excited. Obama is going to be inaugurated on my birthday. I am... I just, I am so happy. You know, in that moment, I'm sure, like the rest of the world, when they said our president-elect Obama, in that moment, because I was getting nervous, and I was like, I don't want to watch, I don't want to get too excited. And in that moment, my husband and I just looked at the, at the TV, and I started to sob. And people also brought up her race. And I feel and very I, strongly you should yes. be allowed to have it. And I chose him, not by the color of his skin, mm. but the content of his character. Have you heard from Mitt Romney at all? Yes, well, not Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan rang you today? Yes, he did. What did he say? This is the point in the decade where Stacey Dash lost the support of the black community. Chris Brown's first public relationship after the 2009 incident involving Rihanna was with Karuchi Tran, a regular girl and aspiring model from LA. The couple started dating in 2011, and Karuchi immediately started receiving harassment by the public, fans of Rihanna, and Rihanna's own best friend, Melissa. Chris Brown and Rihanna started following each other on social media that year, which led to speculation about reconciliation. In February 2012, there were rumors about Chris and Rihanna working on music together after they were spotted at the same recording studio at separate times. Both of them released a new version of a previously recorded song. Both remixes featured the other party, and this caused a lot of attention. There was a lot of criticism about their reunion, with headlines calling their collaboration disgusting and unbelievable. Journalist and editor Natalie Hopkinson wrote an article for The Root that said, These are two deeply disturbed individuals that probably need to get off Twitter and spend time on someone's couch, working it out. They're normalizing this incredibly abnormal and deviant behavior, she says. And then on top of that, they're doing it for their own personal gain, their record company's personal gain, the bloggers gain, the clicks and the page views. But fans of both stars were happy and hoping for reconciliation. On June 14th, Chris and his entourage got into a brawl with Drake, who Rihanna had a romantic history with. The incident was allegedly instigated by Drake and left a number of people injured, including Chris, his girlfriend Karuchi, and NBA player Tony Parker, who had to have surgery to remove a piece of glass from his eye. 
The two guys were sued for $16 million over damages caused to the club and over lawsuits the club received due to injuries from the brawl. A month later, Chris Brown was spotted boarding Rihanna's yacht. In August, in an emotional interview with Oprah, Rihanna described the fallout from the horrific night of the 2009 incident and discussed feeling protective of him and worried that he would be demonized. I thought I hit it, Chris, and I realized it was, it was love that was tarnished. It looked like hit because it was ugly, it was angry, it was inflamed, it was tainted. And I realized that what it was is I had to for forgive him because I cared about him still. Mm -hmm. And the minute I let go of that, like I started living again. You made peace with your father. I made peace with my father. And then first. you were able to make peace with Chris. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because you realized the connection between yes. what your father had done and what Chris had done. Yes. Yeah. The bottom line is you have moved on from that incident in 2009 where you were abused and he was arrested. Even though you know that that will follow probably both of you for the rest of your lives. Yes. And is that what you want the I, world to know? Have you have to. moved on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have to move on. Mm -hmm. And... You know, as I said, it happened to me, so I can't tell people how to feel about it. Mm -hmm. They're entitled to feel angry because it's not, it wasn't a good thing, that, you know, that happened. Um, but you have forgiven him. But I have. Mm -hmm. I have, and that's my personal thing. And your forgiving him does not mean that you are weak or that you are a victim or that you are... And that's what I had to realize. Mm -hmm. After the interview, there were multiple sightings of the two and Chris released a video titled The Real Chris Brown that suggested he couldn't decide between both women. It ain't about the music. I love my fans. I love everything. It's just, you know, when you share history with somebody, then you tend to fall in love with somebody else. It's kind of difficult. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's such thing, is it such thing as loving two people? I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's possible, but for me, I just, I feel like that. I'm, I don't want to hurt either, either or. It is me, I'm not trying to be a player, I'm not trying to be a dog, I'm not none of that. That ain't, I'm from the country, my mama raised me differently, so it's like. He chose his former girlfriend and the pair resumed their relationship. She said in an interview, it's different now. We don't have those types of arguments anymore. We talk about stuff. We value each other. We know exactly what we have now, and we don't want to lose that. The couple broke up a final time in early 2013, and Chris Brown went right back to his girlfriend, Karuchi. In 2012, the least expected feud happened between Mariah Carey and Nicki Minaj. Back in 2010, Mariah and Nicki collaborated on Mariah's song, About My Face, and it looked like everything was fine between the two. But in 2012, Mariah Carey, Keith Urban, and Nicki Minaj were announced as the new American Idol judges, replacing Jennifer Lopez and joining Randy Jackson. Immediately as they started taping the show, rumors began circling the blogs about the two ladies not getting along. In October 2012, the women were videotaped arguing during an audition round in Charlotte, North Carolina on October 2nd. Hold on, I'm with, I'm with the 
Mariah did an interview with Barbara Walters and also threw shade at Nikki. Mariah claims others heard Nikki go even further, which I reported on The View. She said that when Nikki walked off the set, multiple people heard Nikki say, if I had a gun, I would shoot that Did you take what she said seriously? It felt like an unsafe work environment. Anytime anybody's reeling threats at somebody, you know, that's just, it's not appropriate. Sitting there on the road with two babies, I'm not going to take any chances. So yeah, I did hire more security. Nicki Minaj has denied saying anything about a gun, calling it a fabrication. And when we asked her for a comment for this story, her representative told us she said what she's saying on this topic. And she says, I'm quick to check a bitch if she is out of line. Are you the bitch she's singing about? Don't know. Don't know what she's saying. I didn't know she sang. I thought she rapped or whatever. Following the interview, Nikki tweeted, Barbara Walters didn't reach out from our team, Barb. I guess we're too dangerous. But Barbara responded and said that she did indeed reach out to Nikki. On Nikki's docuseries, Nikki Minaj, My Truth, she spoke about the incident. I did not say anything right away. I wanted everything to blow over. But you picking up TMC, Barbara Walters, this, that, and now you start, now you're going to open the can of worms. Am I not good enough for you to get my side? Because I'm a little black girl that raps. But are we not good enough for you, Barbara? Because you wasn't even there when I was on the show, Barbara. So I guess I'm not good enough, but I'm only good enough for you to tell people that I'm unpredictable when you don't know me. Why would I want to have a lift with someone that I've looked up to my whole life? Like, I've loved her and I've even told her in the meeting. Actually, I'm happy that Mariah's on the panel because I think that's a great thing. You got one of the best singers that ever sang and ever in the world. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I think that Mariah met a match this time and I don't think she was expecting to meet her match. As the season continued, there was always tension between both women, and jabs were constantly being thrown. Lost in the moment of playing, and that's why I cannot wait till we get to so do 2014,000 songs. So, uh, oh, 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 no, so you uh, must think that I agree with oh, Nikki. Oh, yeah, yeah, you agree with Nikki. And the entire panel okay. in saying, again, okay. back to the Billboard Hot 100 number one song, which you just performed, which is difficult to get. Not everybody has that. <laughs> to their credit, to your credit, you did a great job. So Thank keep you. on singing, and next time I was talking about what I think is... I was about, see? You are so beat out to cut the kid out. Oh, Y'all were thinking the same thought. I'm about to hand it out to you. Welcome oh, to the family, Johnny. Johnny. I'm going to give it to my, to my co-judge. No, I was about to say, Carrie. Oh, and I was about to say, beep. Anyway, <laughs> Johnny. Thank you, Carrie. And that's why I said no. <laughs> but now what? that you're already... What? But now this when you're through the Hollywood... This is what I deal with when you're through the this Hollywood... This is what I deal with when, when you're through I come the into my job. Oh, no, boo, because you ain't got nothing like me. But um, when what you go to Hollywood... What you hear are we in now? What you hear are we in now? When you go to Hollywood... Exactly, Well, you should never commented on that. Because exactly that. This is fifth grade. Now, exactly that. This is what I deal with. Why are you in my face? Why are you in my face? This is crazy. Slow down. This is fun and dysfunction. Go to Hollywood. Go now. Well, you got a chance. Go. Go to Hollywood now. As the passion in the room boiled over, it looked like both women left the show after that season. In 2013, singer Miguel 
caused a fan brain damage after a failed attempt to jump over the fan pit at the Billboard Music Awards. Everyone was playing Candy Crush. Kim Kardashian and Kanye West welcomed their first baby. Scandal the TV show had everyone hooked. It was the year people discovered Lupita Nyong'o. The quote-unquote Harlem Shake became the new dance craze for white people, although the real version was invented by black folks. Justin Bieber was trying hard to be a bad boy. Simon Cowell got his friend's wife pregnant. And TMZ announced Lil Wayne's death, although he wasn't even dead. When President Barack Obama was elected president a second time in 2012, he asked Beyonce to sing the national anthem at the inauguration. Nothing scandalous about that beautiful performance, right? That's until a spokesperson for the U.S. Marine Corps Band, which provides the music for the inauguration, told news outlets that Beyonce lip-synced the words to a pre-recorded studio version of the Star Spangled Banner. And people went back to a photo that Beyonce posted on Instagram of her in the studio with the lyrics to the Star Spangled Banner. In 2009, Jennifer Hudson lip-synced the national anthem at the Super Bowl. Faith Hill lip-synced along to a pre-recorded America the Beautiful, and Whitney Houston lip-synced her famous rendition of the Star-Spangled Banner at the 1991 Super Bowl. The spokesperson later recanted their claims by saying, no one on the Marine Band is in position to assess whether it was live or pre-recorded. But it was too late because Beyonce was already receiving a large amount of backlash for lip-syncing. Different angles of her performance proved that she was actually singing live behind her pre-recorded vocals. Beyonce sang the national anthem live plenty of times in her career, so it really didn't matter. In February, she started her Super Bowl press conference with a live rendition of the Star Spangled Banner for the naysayers. Would you guys mind standing? Amanda Bynes, who started her career on Nickelodeon and on the TV sitcom What I Like About You, went on to star in films such as Easy A, Hairspray, What a Girl Wants, and She's the Man. As she grew older, people started praising her for not being out of control like other former child stars, and in the summer of 2010, she retired from acting. Then in early 2012, she was arrested for drunk driving and an alleged hit and run, and again a few days later when she hit a cop car. In another case, she drove away from a cop that was writing her a citation. It was clear to people that Amanda had become unhinged. Towards the end of 2012, she was involved in another alleged hit and run. According to Complex, in 2012 alone, she was reported to have locked herself in the dressing room of a boutique for two hours was thrown out of an equinox in West Hollywood after removing her shirt and exercising in a push-up bra, was photographed smoking an unknown substance in her car, and shut herself in New York's Little Cupcake Bake Shop's bathroom for 30 minutes. Amanda was also posting bizarre tweets on her Twitter account, and a number of them were directed towards the rapper Drake. In addition to her behavior, 
Amanda was inspired by Black China and changed her looks to resemble her. In May 2013, she was arrested on drug charges after allegedly tossing a bong out of a 36-floor window. She was taken to Roosevelt Hospital in a messy blonde wig for psychiatric evaluation. In July of that year, she was arrested and hospitalized when she started a fire in the driveway of a stranger's home. From that point on, her parents were granted conservatorship because of her mental state. On January 16, 2013, it was revealed that Notre Dame linebacker Manti Teo was mourning the death of his girlfriend Lene and grandmother in the lead-up to 2012's national championship game. Manti began his online relationship with Lene Kakua sometime in 2009. Lene was a Stanford student and the couple allegedly met in November 2009. The two sent each other tweets on Twitter and she even went to visit him in Hawaii. In April 2012, around the time they became a couple, he got a phone call from one of her relatives that she had been involved in a near-fatal car accident that left her in a coma. While being treated for her injuries, there were complications, and then doctors diagnosed her with leukemia. Lene managed to come out of the coma after hearing Manti's voice and graduated from Stanford that summer. They had put the phone supposedly right by her her mask and so all I could basically hear was her breathing and every time I got on the phone her breathing would quicken and they kept saying that the nurses were wondering who was on the phone because every time that person would be on the phone that's the only time she would respond in that way. What other sounds would you hear in the background? Oh uh, just a respirator you know just hearing the machines and yeah it was very real. In September 2012, Lene died of leukemia right after his grandmother passed away on September 11th. Manti got up in front of his entire team and spoke in detail of his girlfriend's death after he received the news. I cried, I yelled. I've never felt that way before. This is six hours ago, I just found out grandma passed away and you take, you know, the love of my life. Last thing she said to me was, I love you. And that was it. He continued to play, following the debts to fulfill their wishes. In early December, he got a call from a number that he thought to be Lene's, and the person revealed that she wasn't even dead. She revealed that her family was connected to drug dealers and on the run, or some weird story. She said, I have to tell you something. She gave me a whole background of, you know, our family's connected with this and you know we started doing this and so but she was saying she was being chased by drug dealers yeah, by or something dealers. what did she say guess what this is Lene yeah and she just said I was like okay so whoa whoa what, what's whoa, going whoa. On? back up she says hi this is Lene no she said first she said it's me Manti told his coach and Notre Dame athletic director of the situation but continued to lie to the public the athletic director hired a private investigator and the details of the hoax came to light in January 2013. University officials believe him, but say nothing publicly until this week. Manti was the victim of that hoax. Manti is the victim of that hoax, and he will carry that with him for a while. Days later, an anonymous tipper sent an email about the hoax to Deadspin.com, and the website broke the story revealing that he was actually catfished 
by a dude named Ronaya, an acquaintance of his, and all the photos of Lene was stolen from a Facebook profile from a girl he met in high school named Diane O'Meara. The revelation conflicted previous accounts from Manti and his family that the couple had first met after a football game, and people grew suspicious that he was in on it. Ronaya was faking a woman's voice and confessed to Dr. Phil that he was in love with Manti and also confused about his sexuality. Here's the original voicemail. Hey babe, I'm just calling to say goodnight. I love you. And here's to Sopo's version. Hey babe, um, I'm just calling to say goodnight and I love you. According to Dr. Phil's voice print experts, the first recordings behind the screen tend to point toward a match, but Dr. Phil was still skeptical, so he had Rania record again from the same place where he says he made the calls, his home. Again, here's a different voicemail. I don't know who answered your phone. And I don't care. And here's to Esosopo's version. I don't know who answered your phone. And I don't care. Manti, on the other hand, issued an apology and played voicemails from his fake girlfriend in an interview with Katie Couric. I tried my best to make this story as short as possible, but there's so much to it. And you can find the complete Manti tale and Ronaya Tuesasopo interviews right here on YouTube to hear the full story. In June 2013, it was revealed that the queen of Food Network, Paula Dean, and her brother Bubba were being sued by her former restaurant manager, Lisa Jackson, for racial and sexual discrimination. Back in May, before the news broke, she had given a deposition in the $1.2 million discrimination lawsuit and confessed to using the N-word several times and once wanting black waiters to play the role of slaves in a wedding party she was planning. She admitted to using the N-word when she was held at gunpoint by a black man during a robbery in 1986, but denied using it frequently. She also said she didn't find the word offensive. Soon after the news broke, Food Network announced that they wouldn't renew her contract with them after it was up. Companies like Smithfield, QVC, Walmart, Target, and Home Depot withdrew their partnerships with Paula. She released a public apology video and appeared on the Today Show. A few weeks later in July, a close friend and employee of Paula came forward with more allegations of racism. Dora Charles said that Paula had used racial slurs and asked her to do things she found demeaning, like ringing a dinner bell in front of the restaurant and was only paid $10. Seven days a week with her? Yeah, six days. Yeah. I worked in six days a week with her. And so she started the First Lady and Son at 311 Congress. At 311 Congress. And you were her main cook in there, right? Yes. Did she talk to you about your partnership, about whether you'd come along with her as she got famous? Yes. Mm -hmm. She said, stick with me one day. If I get rich, you get rich. But it sounds like it... It just passed you by. It just it just passed me by. You know, I'm not going to run behind her and say, you promised me, you promised me, where my half, where my part, you know. It, 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 wasn't, all, it wasn't all about that. I, actually, all I was looking for was a good salary. How much money were you making when she started her Food Network show? I was just making $6.50. $6.50 an hour? Mm -hmm. In a statement to the Times, Mrs. Dean's publicity team dismissed her claims. Her grievances, they said, are about money, not race. The statement describes her as, quote, an employee that despite over 20 years of generosity, feels that she still deserves yet even more financial support from Paula Dean. 
I told her at times I didn't have enough money to, to buy my own uh, medication. We were sitting across the table, long table. And she said, it didn't reach me. And she said, here's $100. Go buy your medicine. In August, the racial discrimination lawsuit filed against Paula Dean and her brother by Lisa Jackson was dismissed, stating that though others may have faced the discrimination in the restaurant, Lisa could not sue since she was not one of the victims and Lisa's actually white. But it was too late because Paula Dean had already fallen from grace. Uh, I have a, a young man in my life and uh, his name is Hollis Johnson. And he's black Hollis as that is board. Here. Isn't he here? Is Hollis Stand up, Hollis. Here? Is Hollis here? Come Hi, out Hollis. Here, Hollis. We can't see you standing against that dark board. <laughs> Miley Cyrus became one of the biggest child stars in 2006 when her hit Disney Channel show, Hannah Montana, premiered in March of that year. Miley kept her image clean until 2013, when she became desperate to distance herself from her past as a Disney Channel star. She started the year off by chopping her hair into an edgy shortcut and signing a record contract with RCA Records. She started working with hip-hop producers Mike Will Made It, Rock City, and Pharrell to achieve a sound she described as quote-unquote dirty South hip-hop. Miley gravitated towards black culture, but would eventually turn it into a minstrel show. She had the white general public believing that she created a thing called twerking, although black people were doing it for decades while being condemned for it. Miley was surrounding herself with black people just to have them as props. In June, she released the album's lead single, We Can't Stop, and in the video, she can be seen sporting a grill and twerking beside black women. In August, she performed a song at the MTV Video Music Awards and was joined by Robin Thicke to perform his song Blurred Lines later in the performance. Miley then stripped down to flesh-toned latex underwear, touched Robin Thicke's crotch with a giant foam finger, and twerked on him. The debacle caused a bunch of backlash, but it worked out in her favor. She got her first number one hit with her second single and gained over 200,000 Twitter followers, 226,000 likes on Facebook, and 90,000 downloads of her new promotional single within days of the performance. Her new album, Bangers, debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, with first week sales of 270,000 copies, and featured rappers Big Sean, French Montana, Nelly, and Future. And her world tour was just as messy as the VMA performance. Years later, Miley criticized hip-hop culture for being too materialistic and misogynistic. This is exactly why we always call out cultural appropriation, because people like Madonna, Justin Timberlake, and Miley Cyrus can use the culture to elevate their image, then dispose of it after they've caused damage. By the end of 2013, Beyonce was having the best year ever, minus the lip sync scandal. She headlined the Super Bowl, she cut off all of her hair, and started opening up more on social media and being more personal with fans. On the night of December 13th, people noticed an album on iTunes with no artwork that just said Beyonce in pink letters. She had dropped a surprise visual album of 14 songs and 17 music videos without any announcement or promotion. Beyonce left the internet buzzing. The self-titled album sold 1 million digital copies worldwide in six days, and the album impacted the music industry, changing the release date for music from Monday to Friday. 
This was her most daring album with the songs and videos exploring sexuality and feminism. Beyonce was able to keep the project from leaking by remaining tight-lipped about the project and frequently changing deadlines. In the end, she won 2013 and the music industry. Two thousand fourteen was the year rappers Iggy Azalea and Macklemore annoyed the hell out of everyone. A hundred celebrities were hacked, and all of their nudes were leaked on the internet. It was the year of the mysterious disappearance of the Malaysia Airlines Flight three seventy. Drake and Chris Brown made up after numerous altercations and brawls. Outkast reunited at Coachella, and Lady Gaga and R. Kelly's cringeworthy "Do What You Want" music video left people disgusted. On May 5, 2014, A-list celebrities attended the Met Gala, an annual fundraiser for the Metropolitan Museum Costume Institute. On May 12, TMZ released security footage of Beyonce's sister, Solange, assaulting her husband, Jay-Z, in an elevator after the Met Gala, and it quickly went viral. All three had partied at an after-party at the Boom Boom Room and had just entered the elevator when Solange unleashed some punches and kicks on Jay-Z as he tried to block them. B's bodyguard Julius attempted to hold Solange back, but she still managed to hit Jay. In the video, you see the bodyguard Julius hit the emergency stop switch on the 12th floor, presumably to keep the fight private. The whole time, Beyonce remained calm as she watched, because she obviously knew there was a camera in the elevator. Right before they exit, it appears as though Jay and B were arguing, then Solange proceeds to hit him in the face with her clutch. Following the incident, the sisters were photographed leaving together while Jay-Z left rubbing his chin in a separate car. Beyonce, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Jay, Solange. Jay, Jay, what's good, Jay? Right here, right here. Back it up, back it up. The reason for the altercation remains unknown, but rumors immediately started making its way around the internet. Reports claimed that Jay and Rachel Roy, the ex-wife of his ex-friend Damon Dash, were seen flirting. Solange allegedly started arguing with Rachel about her behavior, and Jay allegedly told his sister-in-law that she was out of line for mouthing off to Rachel. Damon Dash, who had a fallen out with Jay a few years prior, took to Instagram to stick up for Solange. He said, I am actually impressed with her independent spirit. She seems like a fighter. Days later, after remaining silent, Jay and Solange each assumed their share of responsibility for what had occurred in a statement that read, as a result of the public release of the elevator security footage from Monday, May 5th, there has been a great deal of speculation about what triggered the unfortunate incident. But the most important thing is that our family has worked through it. Jay and Solange each assume their share of responsibility for what has occurred. They both acknowledge their role in this private matter that has played out in the public. They both have apologized to each other and we have moved forward as a united family. The reports of Solange being intoxicated and displaying erratic behavior throughout that evening are simply false. At the end of the day, 
Families have problems and we're no different. We love each other and above all, we are family. We put this behind us and hope everyone else do the same. Soon after, they released photos of them looking like a big happy family. The Standard Hotel revealed that it had fired the leaker of the video, saying that the individual was responsible for breaching the security policies of the hotel and recording the confidential CCTV video released by TMZ. Speaking to Lucky Magazine and referring to the incident only as that thing, Solange said, What's important is that my family and I are all good. What we had to say collectively was in the statement that we put out, and we all feel at peace with that. This still remains one of the most shocking moments of the decade because the Carters slash Knowles family is super private and probably will never reveal what really happened in the elevator. Luckily, months later, Solange married director Alan Ferguson and her iconic wedding photo went viral and everyone sort of forgot about the elevator fight. Canadian singer Justin Bieber was just 13 years old when he became an international pop sensation. His 2009 album, My World, went platinum in several countries, and he became the first artist to have several songs from a debut record chart on the Billboard Hot 100. He went on to become one of the best-selling artists of all time. But by 2014, 19-year-old Justin was trying to distance himself from the teenage heartthrob image. He started hanging out with rappers, his style was changing, he had tattoos, and he was smoking weed. He was also getting into a lot of trouble. In 2013, he was caught doing graffiti, assaulted his tour manager, and a video leaked of him urinating into a janitor's bucket. We swagger, man. You know, this is just a we metal spot to piss. We the wild kids. That's the coolest spot to piss. You know, you'll forever remember that. <laughs> we the what? You're not going to remember him pissing in the oh, restroom. Like, everybody does that. Hey, yeah. well, what are we though, bro? <laughs> what are we? We the wild, wild kids, y'all. Wild kids. Wild kids in this <laughs> <laughs> In January 2014, his neighbors accused him of egging their home and causing over $20,000 in damages. Police searched his home for any connection between him and the egg tossing incident and arrested his friend for drug possession during the search. Later in the month, he was arrested with singer Khalil for DUI, drag racing, driving with an expired license, and resisting arrest. Upon exiting the jail, he posed for photos for paparazzis on top of a car and posted a photo on Instagram comparing himself to Michael Jackson. In July, he was charged with a misdemeanor count of vandalism for the egg throwing incident. He pleaded no contest and was ordered to pay $81,000 in restitution, received probation for two years, and was required to complete 12 weekly anger management courses and five days of community service. In September, he was arrested again and charged with dangerous driving and assault after a collision between a minivan and his ATV. And to top it all off, video surfaced of him making racist remarks. One less lonely nigga. There's gonna be one less nigga. If I kill you, I'll be part of the KKK. Then there'll be one less lonely nigga. There's gonna be one less lonely nigga. Why are black people afraid of chainsaws? Don't even say it. Don't say it. <laughs> you can say it. In 2014, a 12-year-old boy named Charles Bothell V 
was reported missing by his own family and made nationwide news. His father, Charlie IV, did numerous press conferences and interviews crying out for help to locate his son. After 11 days of searching for the boy, the unimaginable happened. During a Nancy Grace interview, Charlie Bothell found out his 12-year-old son was found alive in their basement barricaded behind boxes. I would hope that the, the father, who is now doing a show on Nancy Grace, that someone would interrupt the show and advise him that we, the location you just left, your home, uh, your son was downstairs. He found him barricaded in the basement behind boxes and a large five-gallon drum. Here's dad. Here's dad. Boy, Charlie, uh, with me is his father, Charlie Bothell. Charlie, we are getting reports that your son has been found in your basement. Sir? Mr. Bothell, are you... Are what? You, yeah, we are getting reports that your son has been found alive in your basement. What? Yes, that's what... If, if you could hand me that wire very quickly. Yeah, we're getting that right now from... from yeah, how, how could your son be alive in your basement? Uh, 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 oh, shit. Uh, I, I, have, I have no idea. Now, this is just a report that we are hearing out of Detroit that we're trying to confirm. Um, oh God, everybody please. in New York, please get on it. Uh, let me know when we get Charlie Langton from WWJ. Uh, sir, did you check your basement? I checked my basement. The FBI checked my basement. The Detroit police checked my basement. My wife checked my basement. Um, found them barricaded in the basement behind boxes and a large five-gallon drum. Here's dad. Here's dad. Here's the dad. Did you know that he was in the basement? Man, no, I didn't know that he was in the basement. The focus really, though, was on the blood. The blood found both in the boys' room and on the kids' clothes that were inside the townhouse. But also the police found a PVC pipe that the police may believe is you was used as a weapon of some kind. Man, they thought my son was dead, man. That <laughs> Doctors checked him out and found signs of abuse, bruising and marks on his body. Abuse, they say, came at the hands of his father and his stepmother. For anybody to imply that I somehow knew that my son was in the basement, it's absurd and it's wrong. I love my son. Police have not ruled out child abuse, but no charges have been filed. Charlie and his wife, Monique, were arrested and charged with torture and second-degree child abuse. Little Charlie V told authorities about the abuse he received and that twice a day, every day, he had to complete workouts, which included 100 push-ups, 200 sit-ups, 100 jumping jacks, 25 curls on each arm with a 25-pound weight, and thousands of revolutions on a machine. The couple pleaded guilty to fourth-degree child abuse and were sentenced to just probation and anger management classes. Charlie V was ordered to have no further contact with his child and little Charlie IV was ordered to undergo psychological evaluation. For decades, 
Comedian, actor, and author Bill Cosby has been the subject of highly publicized accusations of rape and drug-facilitated sexual assault dating back to the 1960s. Bill and his legal team always denied the allegations or refused to discuss the cases. Most of the allegations went unnoticed or were ignored because people didn't want to go against or tear down a man known as a universal father figure and role model for young black men. But in 2014, the allegations re-emerged and his reputation would never be the same. In February of the year, Gawker published a post summarizing old sexual assault allegations against him. Newsweek published interviews with Barbara Bowman and Tamara Green in which the women repeated their earlier allegations. Again, these allegations were ignored and went unnoticed. But down in October, comedian Hannibal Buress was recorded during his comedy set criticizing Bill Cosby for talking down on black men and raping women. He went on to encourage the public to Google search Bill Cosby rape. As the smuggest old black man public persona that I hate. This kid's on TV. Pull your pants up, black people. I was on TV in the 80s. I can talk down to you because I had a successful sitcom. Yeah, it was great women, Bill Cosby, so kind of brings you down a couple notches. I don't curse on stage. Well, yeah, you're a rapist, so take you saying lots of motherfuckers on Bill Cosby himself if you weren't a rapist. Public Teflon image. I've done this bit on stage, and people don't believe, people think I'm making it up. I'm like, Bill Cosby, there's a lot of rape allegations. No, you devil. Google Bill Cosby rape. It's not funny. This <laughs> the clip went viral and set off a media firestorm. As a result, many other accusers came forward and a handful of them were famous women, like supermodels Janice Dickinson and Beverly Johnson. A month later, Bill and his wife Camille sat down for an interview to discuss loaning their art collection to the Smithsonian. During the interview, the host Scott Simon asked him to respond to the allegations that were raised against him in recent days. But he refused to answer and repeatedly shook his head. He then asked for that portion of the interview to be edited out. This is that exchange. I didn't want to, I have to ask about your name coming up in the news recently regarding this comedian. No, no, we don't answer that. Okay. I, I just wanted to ask if you wanted to respond at all about whether any of that was true. There's no response. Okay. Can I ask you if with the, the persona that people know about Bill Cosby, should they believe anything differently about what? There is no comment about that. Okay. And, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I think you were told. I, I don't want to compromise your integrity, but um, we don't, I don't talk about it. As the interview wound down, Cosby then continued the conversation. Thank okay. you. I appreciate your time. Thank now, you. Now, can I get something from you? What's that? That none of that will be shown? I, I can't promise that myself, but you didn't say anything. I know I didn't say anything, but I, I'm asking your integrity that since I didn't want to say anything, but I did answer you, in terms of I don't want to say anything of what value will it have? I don't think it will. Ma'am, what'd you say? Sorry? 
What did you say? I don't think it has any value either. Yeah. And I would appreciate it if it was scuttled. I hear you. I, I will tell that to my editors, and, and, and I think that they will understand. Well, I, I think if you want to consider yourself to be serious, mm -hmm. that it will not appear anywhere. Over the next month, Network started pulling reruns of his shows and canceling upcoming interviews. By 2015, every sponsor and company had cut all ties with Bill Cosby. And this was just the beginning of the downfall of Bill Cosby. I'll be back with part two to recap the rest of the decade. But if you haven't already, please go watch my video on the most shocking celebrity deaths of the 2010s decade. Make sure you like this video and subscribe to Black Femininity TV for more content.